passion and our focus was relentless. We believed that as hard as the industry was going to be on us, that we were going to succeed because it ma- the work mattered and nothing was going to stop us. And so we were just relentless in our pursuit of finding people who actually shared that vision. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Michael O'Neill, founder and CEO of Get Well Network, an organization with a mission to empower people to take a more active role in their health journey. Michael founded the company during his final year in graduate school following treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. His vision for transforming the patient experience established a healthcare technology segment called Interactive Patient Care. Two decades later, GetWell works with leading healthcare organizations and touches millions of patients. Michael's a frequent speaker and media contributor on a variety of industry topics. He recently co-authored an op-ed article, Data is Key to Containing COVID-19 and Preventing Next Pandemic. And his research journal contributions include the Interactive Care Model, framework for more fully engaging people in their own healthcare. Michael is an active leader in the healthcare entrepreneurial and nonprofit communities, including Mindshare, a network of high-tech CEOs, the Young Presidents Organization, YPO, most of many of us know it as, and Graybridge, a nonprofit he launched in 2020, alongside 10 families that built a breakthrough engagement platform for racial unity. He's a limited partner in two early-stage healthcare funds and serves as chairman of the board for Perfect Serve a private equity-backed clinical communications company. In 2019, Michael was named an Aspen Institute Health Innovators Fellow and received the Global Good Funds Social Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Michael is also a past winner of the ENY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He has previously served on the boards of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and the Daisy Foundation. Michael, welcome to the show. You're an impressive guy. Carol, thank you for having me. It's nice to hear somebody uh, list some of the wins. If you listed all the losses, then um, we would never get to those. So um, certainly appreciate it. It's good to be here with you. Yeah, right. Well, we'll get to some of those losses, believe me. <laughs> um, you know, you you have done a lot over over the years. And and I, I, I guess the best place to start is with, as, as I said in the bio, um, given your own treatment with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, where are you now from a healthcare standpoint personally? And after that, I'd love to hear about really how this came to you, the genesis of the company. Hey, thank you for asking. So I'm, let's see, almost 22 years to the day from my last chemotherapy treatment mm. that ended up in, the, in September as I was trying to get back to grad school with a bald head and about 15 pounds lighter for my treatments back then. So the health is good. My oncologist has now kicked me out of his office forever unless things aren't going well. So it's always a very welcome thing in the cancer club to kind of experience. So yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. That's fantastic. So how did this come to you, Get Well Network? And and, and, I mean, I believe I get what the problem is, but I'd like to hear it from you. Sure. Yeah, this will sound a little bit mundane, but probably something that those of us who have been in a hospital bed um, probably will feel is pretty common. I was laying in a hospital bed at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore for nine days back in 1999. And Mm -hmm. I was actually waiting for my pathology to come back from a surgery that cut out about half my stomach to remove a tumor. And I was sitting there, um, honestly, I just come from grad school and in a world where we have so much information, empowerment at our fingertips, I was laying there so uncomfortable, afraid, anxious, confused, just clamoring, you know, for information to understand what all these crazy acronyms were. And, and, And honestly, I, I sat in his bed staring at a 15-year-old TV in the corner of my room that was just spinning like 12 channels, you know, on it. And my observation was pretty blunt. It was, um, what if we actually turn this lazy asset, the patient television, into a desktop and I actually had information I could really use, you know, to kind of help me make the best decision for myself. And, And that was really kind of what spurred 
um, a bunch of work as I went back to grad school to figure this whole thing out. So at that point, I mean, the skeptic in me says, doctors don't want you to, to be able to figure out what's wrong with you or try to contribute to your own care. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's so funny. I was talking to somebody, um, a, a, I was up in Philadelphia last yeah. week uh, during the magnet nursing conference and speaking mm-hmm. to about a hundred nurse leaders about this whole, this very, very topic. Yeah. And what's interesting is, is, Hey, look at get well network. It took us 13 years to get 30 organizations to become clients and then five years to get 500 more. Right. So this has been anything but an overnight success. And well, part sure. of it is for the, what you just said, you know, yeah. like an active, empowered, engaged patient <laughs> sounds like a good idea until you actually have them, you know, That's right. B- barking at you about how much they know about their care. But I will tell you to, to the credit of the physicians and nurses, um, they do know that a well-informed, engaged patient is a better patient and really? we're more likely to have better outcomes. And the question Why is, is that? how, yeah. you know, well, because one of the biggest challenges in healthcare is having patients kind of adhere to their plan of care, you know? And so when yeah, we sure. miss meds and we miss appointments right. and we miss surgery follow-ups, those things result in like really poor care, you know, for yeah. the patient and a lot of headache, you know, for the, for the organization and the clinicians. And so, you know, and so the good thing is, is conceptually we're aligned. The question is, is how do you put the right set of mutual tools that benefit each other in the process mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. really make sure it becomes a flywheel benefit, not, mm-hmm. you know, um, a distractor, if you will, of the care. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I have a friend who had uh, bladder cancer some before I knew her. And, um, during COVID and, you know, the disaster we all just lived through for the last two years or so, she, um, neglected to go to her follow-up appointment and her cancer came back for every two year follow-up. Fortunately, they were able to catch it, but you know, it's, I think it's, that's what I'm hearing from you is really, you know, how do you keep people engaged in that when there's just all this other stuff going on? you know, like a pandemic that's, you know, ruining everybody's life, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carol, I, you know, I, I will tell you what we, what I noticed in my own care, and then what certainly we have noticed with now the 10 million or so patients that we have an, an opportunity and privilege to kind of touch now annually. It's interesting that the, the clinical care has gotten fairly consistently excellent as far as like the physicians and nurses knowing what the best path for you to follow is. Right, right. The challenge in healthcare is that the darn system is so complicated that it's really around experience, navigation, and retention, you know? And so the clinical plan is clear. Whether or not the patient and the care team are coordinated in the effective execution of that plan is a whole other story. Mm -hmm. And so in our work at GetWell, we feel like we have this incredible opportunity to find a way to leverage technology and compassion and create what we would call digital intimacy to really help patients feel like they're personally being navigated and they're actively involved in their care. And the outcomes candidly are consistent and they're powerful. Right. So you've taken over the years about 19 million in in investment, correct? Uh, so at this point, we've now taken more than that. So we did a fairly typical venture capital run in 04, 07, and 09. Okay. And then the business actually, um, we sold the business to a, a large private equity firm in New York in 2013. Ah. Um, and so our venture guys kind of got out of the business. They were sure. very happy. I'm kind of like a made guy in the venture world. So you can begin to do a bunch of other things that you want to yep. go impact, which has been fun. Yep. Um, and then we actually uh, built the company further um, with a private equity firm. And then we actually, uh, and bought our biggest competitor and did some integration work, did some work globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we actually, uh, had another turn into another private equity firm. And so at this point, we right. certainly have raised a lot more than the $19 million, but it's mm-hmm. been a couple of turns. And, yep. but for me and, and, and candidly, my family and my partners, it's just like an every five year financing transaction. This is kind of life work. And so we just kind of push the chip back in and we keep rolling. It's kind of how it is that we, we deal with it. Got it. So when, you know, when you, when you look back and look at your first round that you took, um, what had investors excited about what you were up to? Um, you know, I think a couple of things we were coming off. It was not easy. Those of us who were old enough to know that the internet bubble when it burst was a very real thing in, in right. 2001. Um, I, I, I founded the company in August of 2000. So the timing could not have been worse. And the timing raising money could not have been worse. But yeah. so what we did is we raised a million dollars from uh, friends and family. And then we literally stretched it for four years. 
Wow. And so you can imagine like taking a million dollars, having no revenue and figuring out a way yeah, well. um, to truly inch along and eat, um, you know, ramen noodles, all the typical, typical um, cliche <laughs> things you read in founders books. They actually happen, yeah. you know, that way. Um, and so we stretched it. And then when we finally raised institutional money, um, we raised it all off of really two core things. One was we had our first two contracts in. And while we didn't even have a product yet, what we had was organizations saying, we know patient engagement is important. Mm-hmm. We haven't found a way to do it well at scale. And we would love your help, you know, in co-innovating a way to kind of do this work. So that was right. important to us. And the second thing was, is honestly, I think, and it's, I think, a good thing I, I <clears throat> do a, um, a handful of talking to a bunch of business schools and talk a lot of, of new entrepreneurs. And I think that our, um, our passion and our focus was relentless. Like we, we, we believed that as hard as the industry was going to be on us, that we were going to succeed because it ma- the work mattered mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. nothing was going to stop us. And so we were just right. relentless in our pursuit of finding people who actually shared that vision. Um, and I think investors responded to that, thankfully. You mentioned uh, two private equity transactions, right? The first and the second, um, which are your current owners, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, how did that, I mean, at least the first time you sold, how did that, uh, you know, here's here's a guy who founded his own company and now he's selling it to somebody else and still acting as the CEO. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, th- giving up that kind of control is not always so easy. So how did you, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about a second private equity transaction, why that happened. You know, yeah. was it because the first one just wasn't a fit? Yeah, so so, so let me take it one at a time. So the, yeah. the, the, the first one, this is kind of an ironic thing for entrepreneurs. At a time where, your company is about to be sold to a private equity firm mm. where your venture capitalists are going to make um, a well, great return. Yeah, yeah, sure. At a time where you think you'd be most confident on the balls of your feet, I went through some really um, unfamiliar um, uh, moments of insecurity mm. uh, because in a private equity firm, there are not a lot of founder CEOs floating around in these companies, right? You know, like most no, of the times not. when they buy them, they say, hey, we love the company you built. Um, and we would love yeah. you to kind of just exit stage left and give us some, you know, some parting thoughts and all. <laughs> and so it was a really yeah. interesting psychological time. And I remember, you know, really leaning heavily uh, on my, my, my wife and my partner around this whole thing and really saying, hey, look, um, I think I'm the very best person on the planet to lead this work forward. Yeah. Um, and I need to make sure that I find that confidence with my new firm to say, hey, mm-hmm. the moment that you think or I don't think I am. Mm-hmm. And let's actually talk about that openly. But like until that time, like I'm all in, you know? Um, and so, but it was a really interesting time. Now on the second turn, it was quite different. On the second turn, it was simply, hey, I now had um, exited once. Mm-hmm. So we had security behind us, expectations that were raised. I was a more mature CEO and we were simply turning it again to get those, those other investors their return out. And so for us, it was more like, Hey, let's go find the right partner. I've got some bigger deers, um, ideas around what this thing could be mm-hmm. in the next chapter. And let's actually get you guys a great return. Let's kind of keep, keep rolling. So it was more just a pretty natural mm-hmm. investment return transaction at, at that stage, candidly. So are they pretty hands-off? Are you just, you know, just running your show? What's, what's their, <laughs> what's their um, uh, you know, what's their business in your business? <laughs> so, so, so the operating cadence is fairly standard and consistent. Yeah. We are on monthly operating calls. We are on quarterly boards. And, right. they were, and then we were pulling them in ad hoc when we want to do a pretty big transaction. We want to acquire another company. We want to enter a new global market. You know, um, and so, but on a day-to-day, you know, uh, we happen all the way along from venture days to, to our, our two private equity turns. Mm-hmm. We've had folks that have a great balance between um, bringing their operational excellence and best practice to us, making sure that we're operating according to what they have seen be successful. But they really give us latitude. I mean, we know the business um, in some cases painfully, <laughs> painfully well. And so they've given me a great degree of freedom to really try to lean into like what's next and what's new because, um, man, this world needs innovation and leadership more than ever. And they're trusting me to actually provide that for them. Amen. From your mouth to somebody's ears, boy. Um, you acquired one of your competitors. Um, what is, I mean, when you, when you founded the company, was anybody else doing this? Uh, so or were you really. the first? Yeah. So we're, we, we were the first, but really alongside okay. a, a counterpart on the West coast. It was almost like 
almost around the same time, we had a notion that, hey, forever in hospitals, patients have actually paid like $6 to watch TV on a bad TV, you know? Unbelievable. But, 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 but the thought was, hey, um, with all this amazing technology, people process yeah. around the point of care, why is this particular asset still the laziest technology asset in the building? And, and so there was, there was a bit of like, hey, let's just actually figure out how to make these desktops, not television. And we could really do a lot of unique things. We'd have mm-hmm. information. We know what language right. you speak, what medication right. you're on. So it was kind of like two of us on different coasts had a, a relatively similar path. Got it. Um, and, and in fact, um, the, the names were similar. So at one point we had to, we had to buy... <laughs> It was a crazy kind of the copyright URL. thing. Yeah, we were buying <laughs> URLs and buying names and that kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, but and then we ended up just really having an opportunity to partner with them, you know, uh, into the journey, Great. and then became a real kind of industry leader, if you will, you know, around that mm-hmm. that piece as well. What's the current competitive nature of this business that you're in? So it's highly competitive. So so mm-hmm. so the world has woken up, and we, and we and, and this is this will sound a little ironic, but but we're, we're rooting for this. So the, the notion is is you know, um, we used to go to these trade shows and we'd be the only, we'd be the only, only, only guy in the room doing that huh? out of 4,000 companies yeah, doing sure. patient engagement. And then it got cool. And now even companies that have nothing to do with patient engagement actually say they do patient engagement. And so, so it is a highly yeah. competitive yeah. field. Um, yeah. we like that, uh, because yeah, it sure actually proves your theory to yeah, real business, pushes the, the business forward, but it's very right. competitive. Um, we have to make sure that what we do now is not just um, sound good, but actually delivers value. And are you truly measuring right. both the patient care and financial impact of consumer engagement, you know, in these organizations? And we're, we are grateful to have a set of solutions and people that really understand how to do that. And, and, um, and we've been doing this for a long time. That's terrific. So what would you say are the biggest challenges you're facing, Michael, with GetWell Network and within this competitive industry? So, so, so I, I first would say like our biggest challenges are our clients and customers' biggest challenges. So when you think about health systems and large mm-hmm. payers who are the folks that we do business with, right? they are facing two dual threats that are literally changing the face of healthcare on a daily basis. Threat one is the expectations of today's digital consumer mm-hmm. are intense. We expect things to be, I call right. them the three T's. Consumers are telling me like, hey, make it clear, make it convenient, and make mm-hmm. it compassionate. This is my healthcare right. I'm talking about. And so number one, our customers are facing that threat. Yeah, and then right. two, they are facing a generational workforce threat, you know, with right. their staffing, staffing costs, every retention, and yep. what have you. Yep. And so I would tell you like our biggest challenge is theirs, which is how can we leverage the know-how that we have uniquely to help them actually create what we believe is like a a flywheel benefit. If you make the patient experience better, you'll make the clinician experience more efficient and better and vice versa. If the clinicians are tooled up, healthy, happy, centered, delivering care that they were Mm -hmm. born and trained to receive, you'll make better patients out of them as well. So like Mm -hmm. that's the challenge that we're trying to hit, Carol. And Mm -hmm. um, we just have hit like a really nice stride. COVID has uh, has been horrible, but it's also brought down some barriers of adoption of innovation that have been powerful. Right. Yeah, it's really it's really amazing. Um, so so you you know it, 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 when we first started this, you talked about you know the you know well we could mistakes that you've made right. So let's you know I know we could we could spend you know hours talking about just one's mistakes right, but let's look at from the founding of your company if you can pull out maybe two or three of some of the mistakes, the bigger mistakes you've made, why you think you made them, and then what you did to correct them. Yeah. So I think the first one would be around um, as an entrepreneur, um, building out talent and then figuring out when that talent might be incredible for the current phase you're in, mm-hmm. but is likely going to be, need to be different for the phase you're going to. Correct. And I think that um, oftentimes, and I certainly have done this a number of times, you know, when it's not a right fit at the executive level, the executive knows it as well. And mm-hmm. I think too often, like we're wanting things to get better and we're just not early enough in saying to that person, hey, uh, I believe in you. Um, candidly, I love you um, and love what you've done here. As but- I look forward to the next two years, <laughs> this probably is not going to be the best fit for yeah. your skills. Yep. And let's figure out upstream 
you know, how to eat a movie to a different position, you know, or let me help you find another opportunity outside, you know, um, the organization. Right. So I think like number one, I would say on the talent side, these businesses yep. are changing very rapidly mm-hmm. and your judgment around what talent can go to the next loop of the mm-hmm. relay race, mm-hmm. you know, versus, you know, have to do something different is I think a, a, an important thing for entrepreneurs and for leaders to mm-hmm. figure out mm-hmm. the talent side. The second thing is, you know, I've made the mistake um, uh, several times on judging the industry's readiness to take on innovation. Um, <laughs> I love and, it. And so oftentimes, you know, I will uh, have convinced our board and convinced my partners that we're going to lean into something. Uh, we've made some major investments in things whether it's a new international market, whether it's a new capability, whether it's new technologies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the industry just is not ready. Ready not to innovate. Ready from a financial yep. standpoint, from a technical standpoint, yep. from a personnel standpoint, whatever the kind of case may be. Right. And so I would tell you, like, those would be the two, I guess, like, like categories of errors okay. that I certainly have made more than my fair share of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as like, rectifying them, I think, number one, on the personnel front, it is just really locking in on a corporate culture around sharing openly and honestly, around mm-hmm. rooting for each other, around being world-class every day, around finding strength in our differences. And to me, like we center around these values and we talk about them all the time. Awesome. And if we actually live according to those standards, mm-hmm. then those crucial conversations just happen like more mm-hmm. regularly and more continually and more naturally. And so if things are not gonna be a fit, you just know it earlier, you know? So nowadays, mm-hmm. um, uh, we make moves, both promotions and also changes um, a lot more efficiently because yeah. we're keeping those things front and center, I would say. Yeah, I love that. And, and you, know, when, when, you know, when you were talking about the patient experience being front and center, as I was listening to you talk about that, I'm thinking, well, right, that's no different than the employee experience. Totally. Man, right. I, I mean, I, you have, if, you know, if you can't, I, I mean, I preach this, I preach this, I preach this, this is what my book is about, about what it means to, to have a talent centric organization. You can't have anything without that. Right. It is, it is so true. It is so yeah. true. Carol. You know, it's funny. I, people ask all the time, like, tell me like after 20 years, like where you're spending your time. And, and I'm always, I have to always be with your people. Yeah. I, I have this incredible, yeah. um, uh, executive assistant that I've worked with for now mm-hmm. 17 years. And, and she and I are constantly checking at the beginning of my week what my calendar looks like. And we're always right. thinking about balancing a third, a third, a third. Yep. Corporate development, client development, and cultural development. And if I'm not Love spending it. a third of my time on each of these three things and gets mm-hmm. imbalanced, we're usually off. You know, And on, mm. you know, on this people thing, um, there's not a new higher orientation that I ever miss. You know, um, There's not a one-on-one that, with my direct that I ever miss as well. These are like, mm-hmm. you have to, and, and it's not actually skip meetings that I don't miss. We have a, leadership development program. I'm always kicking that off. Great. Um, and, and so these are the kind of things that I think we need to make sure that we're building in as priorities. If not, mm-hmm. as you know, this thing, nothing works without figuring out a way to cultivate great that. talent and keep it in, in-house. That's fantastic. What would you say? So, so you mentioned that um, health systems and big payers are your customers, right? That's, your, that's who you're dealing with. Yep. First of all, how how are you marketing? Are, are, you know, are you going out actively and finding them or is there some, is it inbound? Is it outbound? Is it a combination of both? So it's a combination of both. I'll okay. talk about the outbound for a moment. So we have a combination of a, um, direct kind of business to business, like enterprise software sales team Got it. that sells both in the commercial space and also in the government space. We do a lot of work in the VA. Yeah. Have this that's great. Amazing opportunity to impact millions okay. of veterans, which has been just incredible, um, for the organization. And then, we also get a lot of inbound. You know, in our industry, if you're doing something, just give you an example. Um, so we're working on a navigation program for uh, mothers on Medicaid, and it is a mm-hmm. uh, health equity program that we developed in partnership with a large health system out near where you are out west called Common mm-hmm. Spirit. And so we're working across 40 or so of their markets, and we are, we are reaching out using AI and SMS and navigation mm-hmm. to moms on Medicaid, primarily awesome. um, Black and African-American moms and Latino moms. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing pretty incredible sustained engagement rates. I mean, seven, mid 70% and wow. reduced preterm labor and reduced NICU wow. days. It's just been an amazing program. Was featured at the White House in December. And so, and so with those kind of programs, when you deliver outcomes that matter and that are yeah. data-based and research-based and, and are sustained, people, yeah, you people reach recall. out to you. Yeah. And they're saying, hey, um, we just got state or federal money 
to really kind of move the needle on kind of our maternal health and mm-hmm. equity program. We don't really know what to do. And we're like, hey, like this is something that for us, it's more than the headline. It is like this work matters. We can do it at yeah. scale. We do it quickly. And we'll share the risk with you in this. We know this works if we actually do this right, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and again, health systems and big payers. So health systems are like these giant hospitals, right? And the companies yep. who run them, I assume, yes? Yep. Okay. And the big payers are the insurance carriers? Exactly. Okay. So when they come to you, what do they think their problem is? And is it what their problem actually is? Like, like you and I talked about a little bit before we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so they often have a pretty discreet issue, you know? Um, yeah. And so, for example, a, a large health system will come and say, hey, we've just turned over 35% of our nurses. Our patient units are understaffed. Right. Our nurses have too much to do with not Love enough it. staff. Yeah. And we need help figuring out how to automate some of this process, you know, at the point of care, as mm-hmm. an example. So they'll know a very discreet issue they actually have. Right. A payer may call us and say, hey, we are about to get a regulation that requires us to actually reach out and collect social determinants of health information on our members. Mm-hmm. And we do not have an efficient, scalable way to do that. Nor if we do have it, do we understand how to make sure we get to those members and give them the services they actually need. Yeah. And so, so that's when people come to us. It's pretty discreet. Um, and it's pretty fundamental. And what you can tell is it's actually impacting them like right between the eyes. It's like, Hey, we can't sustain like this rate of pain in this particular issue. Um, and we've seen some programs you got to doing and we'd love to kind of learn more. So that's usually how that would go if it's an inbound. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's funny. I, I just recently had a similar conversation. Um, somebody said to me that was interviewing me for their podcast who said to me, what, you know, when CEOs call you, what do they, what do they, you know, what do they think their problem is? Yeah. <laughs> so they think they have a recruiting problem, but that's never their problem. Right. <laughs> it's always, right. it's always around strategy. It's around vision. It's around a lot. I mean, it's a lot around alignment. Ultimately there's a, and there's a gap in their alignment. Well, um, so they haven't, they, they don't, they don't, like, they wouldn't even know the first way how to even build a talent strategy if they're not aligned. Right. You, you know, yeah. It's funny you say this, Carol. You know, so, so to me, like now, now when we, when we respond to that inbound or when we go outbound, yeah, we actually are talking more broadly strategically. What we actually usually say is, look, this notion of consumer digital engagement, um, it's not a point solution. It's actually a strategic imperative for your organization to both survive and ultimately thrive. Mm. And so let's mm-hmm. actually talk about how are you at the enterprise level doing experience navigation and retention? And might we think about ways to kind of put both technology people and process together to really drive change, you know, in that yeah. way. And that's, that's what we're, that's what get well is talking about. Is yeah. what we call get well anywhere. You know, how can we become a layer for experience navigation and retention to really kind of drive mm-hmm. all patient outcomes and the business um, yeah. in parallel, you know? You know, COVID really, um, I, I, I try to avoid talking about it anymore, but I think in your case, it's prudent <laughs> given what you're up to. And, you know, COVID really impacted the healthcare industry in such, I think, negative ways. And, and, I'm, and I'm not just saying human healthcare. I had a conversation with somebody this morning who asked me what vet I'm using. I rescue, I do rescue work. And yeah. I mentioned there's a place in town here. And, um, she said, because I called certainly somebody could get me in to spay my dog is four months from now. I'm like, what? Yeah. Because, because there's no veterinarians. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the impacts of COVID. I mean, you probably, you may not be able to speak around, around veterinarians, but you certainly can around human healthcare and the impact of COVID. I mean, I can certainly make some assertions based on what I observed over the last, you know, two years. Right. Um, putting people through that kind of crap. And, yeah, and be two very real things. I think yeah. that oftentimes this gets too theoretical. So let me make it like really clear on this. Yeah. So we're working on a project in California right now. The organization is a very large, they have 28 hospitals across central California in yep. very underserved communities. Mm. They sent us a file, 800,000 people who they call dormant patients have not been in to see a primary care physician in over 18 months. Yeah, okay. People. And mm-hmm. so our job at Get Well is mm-hmm. to use our AI, our technology to do outreach. To get them in there. Help these people get, yep. get back into the care yep. they actually need. Now, they were afraid. They're, they either lost mm-hmm. a job. They were afraid to come in. Whatever the combination of factors are, how can we 
deliver digital intimacy? How do we actually reach out so they believe like we know them, the organization knows them. Right. Hey, Michael, this is this is hope from this particular health system. I'm here to really help you make sure you're getting the right care you actually need. So just give an example like how bad it's gotten for for human care. Like uh, now that now then you have to actually make sure we're we're feeding them into a place to have capacity, right? To right. be able to care for them. Because it can't be six more months till they actually get get care for. So that's kind of one mm-hmm. thing that we're doing. The other thing I would tell you is we're working on a project down in Mississippi on uh, youth mental health. And the statistic is this. There are about mm-hmm. a quarter million young people in the state of Mississippi between the age of 12 and 18. And it's estimated about 50,000 of them, one in every five of them, have a significant mental health challenge. And only about wow. 10,000 of them are, are actually being seen for one. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine like, and by the way, there is not capacity. There, there are not right. enough providers to see these kids. Mm-hmm. And so you have to figure out ways to provide alternative upstream digital tools, group tools, virtual tools. How can you actually increase capacity you know, of this human workforce? And so those are the kind of things, Carol, that we have seen in during COVID that have right. really changed the game. Um, and we think we have an opportunity. Look, no one solves us all, but we mm-hmm. can at get well. I'm pointing a bunch of our R&D resources, a bunch of our human resources. I'm pointing at Let's go help these organizations solve the biggest community issues that we're actually facing um, because health is inextricably linked to like societal advancement, mm-hmm. you know, as we all know, you know, um, so we're pushing on that pretty heavily. When, uh, when you're either, you know, whether it's outbound or inbound, what do you typically see your prospects having wasted time and money on when they come to you? Uh, this is, I got to tell you, I, this is, so we, we get, um, We'll get a 78-page RFP, you know, request for proposal. Yeah, right. You know, for like a new hospital being built and they want to stay, they want to spec a room in the future. Uh, and <laughs> it's just, there could be so much more efficiency gained yep. in like the procurement process around yeah, the stock. And it's not that you don't want it to be competitive because you want to get the very best fit for you. Of course. But we are seeing just cycles and cost and cycles and cost around things that we have so done 35 to 50 times in the last 12 yeah. months. And so you should, you, you know, I have an older daughter who just applied to colleges last year. And, you know, this, this notion of a common app is becoming very popular, right? You just use one application and- For everybody. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. A thousand schools will actually take sure. it. Like that is how we should be doing this. It is just, it is not, it is just not um, There's efficient. no reason to reinvent the wheel. No. If the wheel's already the most effective tool you have, <laughs> you know, why, why, why is somebody trying to, you know, it's like somebody who founds a company on a feature or a function. That's not a company. No, no, no. You know, that's you a know, feature. I, you can't build a company on a feature. Totally. And, and, and I think the same here, I think, and, and then what happens and what you just said is really important. So what happens ultimately, it becomes like a checklist of features, right? Which every company you send it to is going to just check them all, you know? Um, and so the question really is, is, you know, uh, how do you get to know an organization in its depth, mm-hmm. breadth, and impact yep. in a way that's going to fit you? Because technology alone in our industry doesn't do anything. Like, it yeah. is, this is a people, process, technology, almost in equal parts to make mm-hmm. the impact happen. And I just don't think that this process gets at, you know, um, what the right fit, you know, for the buyer is as far as your organization. Mm-hmm. And that can be a very frustrating thing, I'm sure for them as well, you know, and certainly is, you know, for our, our teams. So, Michael, you've got about 300 employees currently. Um, I want to deep dive in a little bit more. I mean, you talked a little bit already about, you know, the strategy of, you know, is, is, this, this, is this person in this role going to be able to take us to where we need to go next, right? But let's talk a little bit about your overall talent strategy and, and where you've seen your biggest challenges. Yeah, so I think from a strategy standpoint, I guess first is like we have this kind of um, this mantra at the organization that um, culture uh, does eat strategy for breakfast. That is true, as the famous quote holds. However, um, values and standards eat at the dinner table, period. And so for us, like the organization starts from a talent standpoint with the values that we have declared as most paramount to what we want this community right. to be around. Right. And those values are unwavering. And they're mm-hmm. very clean and simple. 
It is number one, root for each other. We need people who don't necessarily agree. They've got big egos, big brains, but do you actually root for the person next to you to actually succeed? So number one, root for each other. Number two, share openly and honestly. The world changing so fast Mm -hmm. that if we don't share openly and honestly, we just can't go fast enough and adapt to how quickly the world changing. Um, three is be world-class every day. Because as, as a company of 300 people, we're dealing with multi-billion dollar enterprises, including governments. Of course. So if we don't act world-class, they will not trust their very important work in our hands. And fourth mm-hmm. is find strength in our differences. So if we all look the same, think the same, have come from the same yeah. backgrounds, right. we will never Group find the most creative solutions to the problems, complex right. ones that we're trying to solve on behalf of our patients, their families, and the clinicians who are providing care for them. So I guess the first thing I'll tell you on town strategy for us is start with values, recruit for those values, hire for those values, promote for those values, fire for those values when they're in violation, mm-hmm. like really kind of be grounded in this, you know? And we have decided during crisis when COVID hit to actually not run from them, but kind of double down on them. And it's served us really well. Awesome. Um, so I guess that would be the, the first kind mm-hmm. of piece of this and how we would mm-hmm. think about like our talent strategy. The other would actually be, um, you know, we think in organizations that the identification of top talent is important, not just identify them, but what are you actually doing to get these folks who actually want to stretch, they're ambitious, they're smart, they're thoughtful, they're humble, right. they're confident. What are you doing with them? And so we do two things in particular. One, we formalize every year around a leadership development cohort. That's usually around 20 mm-hmm. to 25 people in the York that have been identified as really high potential yep, um, leaders. Yep. And then yep. secondly, we actually give those people cross-functional projects to not only work on, but actually to own. So just mm-hmm. because you're working in engineering or software development doesn't mean you can't do a project that's going to impact our pricing strategy. Or just because you're working in accounting right. doesn't mean you Very can't work smart. on something that's going to impact health equity. You know, yeah. um, and so so that's those are like the two things that we do to really make sure that our best people, man, they are uh, they are motivated, and more importantly, they're motivating. When you let them yeah. lead, like you, you can't believe you know, the force that they actually lead with, it is amazing, you know? And so that's some of the things that we were working on at Get Well all the time. Yeah, you know, and, and what I love about this, your second point is the fact of, you know, putting somebody in engineering into a different, you know, to be working with somebody in, you know, as you said, pricing, right? Yeah. You know, what that does is it it really helps promote, you know, what I see as empathy. <laughs> no doubt. Right. You can't, I mean, you know, I, I, if I'm asking somebody, an executive committee individually, each of, each of your executive committee, you know, what department or function do you think is the most important to the success of this organization? And nobody can actually see beyond their own organization. (laughs) That's a, I mean, that there's a gap in your alignment, right? There's, there's somebody doesn't actually you know, when the head of sales thinks they're the most important guy in the room and the head of tech thinks they're the most important guy in the room and the head of finance thinks they're the most important guy in the room and so on and so forth, you're never going to get anybody to understand and, and actually to live in someone else's world. Yeah, Carol, we've had, listen, we, we, we uh, as much as I espouse the things that we both value and also that we do, we don't yeah. always get it right, you know? And, well, and nobody gets it right 100% of the time. Totally. And, and, and the question is, like, are, are, are you willing... Are you willing to kind of keep those values intact yeah. while you're actually letting somebody know who might be a very senior person? Yeah. Um, hey, like I, I stand for you as a person, a person, and mm-hmm. as a professional, but this, this, this doesn't work. You know, like the way that you work, like you, you, you don't, you don't root for the other person, and that, mm-hmm. and this business is too complicated. You know, yeah. to not actually do that. You know, as a, as a natural instinct. You know, for how we're walking through this, so. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things that we have to step up into and really yeah. own and, and be very transparent and comfortable with um, making some mistakes on the way as well, you know? Right. You mentioned earlier, Michael, about, uh, you've mentioned it actually a couple of times, uh, sharing open, uh, sharing openly and honestly, right? Um, and, and, you know, that's something that if you and I are on the same page, I refer to as a culture of feedback. So my question is, can anybody at any level give feedback to anybody below to the side or above without fear of being getting thrown under a bus <laughs> or their job or any other negative consequence. It's, it's, if it's done the right a, way. 
it's such a great push. So, so, um, it's funny, we've gotten ebbs and flows, I think, in, in how, certainly we had not gotten in, in ebbs and flows and how I would respond to that, but it doesn't really matter how I would respond to that. What matters is, do all 300 people in the organization, if you ask that's me right. that question, that's right. That's, say, yep. I feel like my voice is heard. I feel like I have multiple avenues to express either concerns or celebrate great wins that I'm yes. either having or someone else is having, whatever. And so we put some systems in place that actually, I think, foster that. We have this amazing internal um, recognition tool and it is so vibrant. It is like a real core part of our culture mm-hmm. and people are acknowledging each other. They're getting points. They're kind of buying swag. I mean, there's all kinds of great there. So we have some great tools to kind of foster this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also times where, you know, I'll get a call saying, Hey, um, that or chain didn't go over really well with so-and-so like, I, and I need you to reach out to them and I'll reach out and say, Hey, Good. the reason I'm reaching out is because you are valued here. And I just want to make sure like I'm hearing directly you know, um, to understand like, what are the concerns? Why do you have them? Do you feel like you're being heard? And so again, like, um, but I think for the most part, we've done a good job at this, mm-hmm. but, um, it's not always perfect, but we're, we're pushing every day. I'm, I'm my leader. I tell them all the time. This is a non-negotiable for us as leaders for sure. Well, and, and, you know, here's the reality. They have to learn it from you. Yeah. They have to see you practicing what you preach. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, think, and, I think that's what everything. Yeah. And it can't just be you. I mean, it starts with you and then it moves throughout your executive team and then throughout the organization. Yeah. But, but, but I do, I do think the important thing at, at a, at a CEO level is, you know, um, it starts with like, are you accessible? Like, you know, like, are you present? And you can be present, um, virtually you can be present physically, you can be present in all ways, Mm -hmm. but are you really present? Like when, Mm -hmm. when you're opening up a town hall, like, are you actually opening up by being present and say, Hey, um, let me just start by saying, like, it's been a really hard two days for me. You know, um, mm-hmm. I got this going on at home. Um, we just had a, a had a tough conversation with a really key client, and and I had a I had a partner, you know, just tell me that 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 they're probably going to move on to something else or whatever. Like, you know, are are we are we using are we using openness, transparency, and even vulnerability, yeah. you know, as like a as a leadership, mm-hmm. you know, um, commitment? And I think when we do that. I think it does model it for everybody else. And I think it's a really important aspect of certainly who we are as an organization. Mm-hmm. Michael, how do you define your culture? Um, so I would uh, define it as um, very passionate and we get both the benefits and sometimes the drawbacks. <laughs> you know, and, and, that, <laughs> yeah, and that's right. me. So we're kind of, we're, we, we do passionate work with passion. I tell people all the time, this company is about finding projects of purpose fueled by people of passion. Yeah. And so I would describe our culture pretty much in that realm. You know, we are working at things that our people really think matter and they are actually being dummy people who really care about them. Mm-hmm. And that actually has us doing extraordinary things when we when we have our these cultural values right. Mm-hmm. And it also has us getting really hot when actually things, <laughs> things yeah, right, get sure. Now, I wouldn't yeah. trade it for anything, but that's yeah. how I would describe our culture. It is a culture that is literally based on projects of purpose fueled by people of passion. And it is like, I don't feel like I'm working. I'm, I'll be honest, 22 years and people are like, are you tired? I'm like, no. Well, you know what they say when you, when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. No doubt. We are you blessed. Know. So where do you see yourself um, investing in resources for continued growth here over the next year? Yeah. So I think it's like a, a couple of pretty direct areas, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we talked on a couple of them. I think mm-hmm. um, the first is this, this consumer this digital this, this now become like a native digital consumer. It doesn't matter if you're four years old or 104. Like almost every patient we touch wants things to be digital, mobile, easy, convenient, and personalized. Mm-hmm. And so we're pushing heavily into mobile and all things that we do. And we have actually have a big launch coming up this fall that we're really excited about. On the other side of the work, you know, um, where we're pushing a lot of resources is in health equity. Not because there are a bunch of he- headlines, but because actually what we have seen is that if we find a way to get, if we reach out to people who have been historically left out of the best care, mm-hmm. and we are having an impact that is just so profound, like on them as individuals and on their communities and on the organizations who actually serve them. And so I think these would be like two areas that we are finding a lot of energy in, and we're pushing a lot of resource in those two directions. Got it. So you, you've talked a little bit about what your day-to-day, you know, the third, the third, the third, what you spend your time doing in your day. How do you spend your time when you're not working? So really, really just in two places. One, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a basketball junkie. So I coach, play, and watch a lot of basketball. I have a, 
Um, my, my daughters both play. Um, my, my yeah. daughter, one of my daughters is playing on her club team at school. Another one's actually just got her first division one scholarship. And so we're chasing her kind of hoop yeah. dreams. And so, Mazel tov. So, yeah. so we do a lot. I actually have like, um, six forty-five to eight fifteen in the morning, two mornings mm-hmm. a week. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm with, um, probably 10 other crazy people my age who claim they can still play. So we're sweating and playing bad <laughs> basketball. We love it. So it's a lot of You're great right. fellowship. Um, and so that's what I'm doing in one, in, in, in one area. And then the other area is, you know, I've, I've, you mentioned at the beginning around a bio thing, I've been become involved in this, um, this Aspen Institute fellowship for yep. a healthcare innovation. And, yep. and I would tell you, I've just never been around, uh, um, more of a group of inspiring yeah. uh, leaders and they come from every realm of healthcare. Sure. But I'm spending a lot of time in my quote unquote off time in collaborating with them again on projects mm. of purpose, you know? Um, and so it's been like incredibly fulfilling in, in what we're actually doing on that side as well. That's fantastic. Um, we talked a little bit about COVID, but I want to just spend a, spend a minute or two here and talk about, were you prior to COVID, was everybody headquartered? Together. So we were we were always we've historically been one third headquarters and two thirds remote. Okay. Um, and so now I would say that we're about ninety percent headquarters and I'm sorry ninety percent remote and remote. 90% headquarters. So it's just shifted slightly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were already a virtual yeah um, distributed culture. I mean a distributed organization and culture mm-hmm. therefore. Mm-hmm. And so we when we talk about this we all talk about hey um, we have to be digital and virtual first, but actually create. Um, convening opportunities for people to actually want to get together because there's value in that, you know? And so, and so that's just kind of been exacerbated, but it hasn't been something new for us. Yeah. Got it. And, and do you take time to, I mean, once a year, twice a year, whatever, to bring everyone from your organization together in one place? Yeah. So it's funny you ask this. So we used to have this like internally famous event called all in that we would put that pre COVID. The answer was Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Since COVID we are bringing in, um, like not the whole crew yet, but um, pretty significant groups. We bring in 30, 40 people, you know, around client success, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, right. our whole pediatric team, our whole government team of 40 people, okay. whatever the things are. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing a lot of convening, but haven't yet gotten the whole posse to kind of join us in DC, but hopefully we'll do that <laughs> early next year. Well, sound, that's, that sounds fantastic. And I'm sure it'll be a fabulous event when you bring everybody in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of hugs and tears and laughs yeah. and all the things that, that, yeah. that we do in and, healthcare. And really, you know, as much as we can all do business um, like this, uh, I, I still believe, you know, I, I, I do my best to get in front of people as much as I can. You know, I mean, I get bored of sitting in my house all day. You know, I need to get out and meet and actually, you know, see somebody face to face in person. Right. I, I, I am telling you, I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmingly encouraged on two fronts. One, yeah. I'm struck by how well you can actually get to know somebody like this. Yeah. And so if I actually saw you when I do see you in person at some point, because we'll find our way together. Yep. Um, this is an incredibly effective means that I'm actually agree. surprised by that. Number one. Yeah. And number two, at the same time, we just hosted a hundred nurse leaders at an event in Philadelphia who I hadn't seen face to face probably in five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, um, locking eyes with somebody in the physical world, embracing them and giving them a hug, understanding and being able to feel their emotion of what they're actually struggling with and where they're actually getting energy from, mm-hmm. you simply can't replace like that, that kind of human element, you know, to no, both our, our work, our industry, or really in yep. life, you know? Yep. And so I don't take it for granted at all. Well, you know, and I, I really believe because I, I feel the same way. I can, I can have, you know, met people initially on, you know, over Zoom or even over the phone without seeing them. And then the minute I, you know, the minute I lay personal eyes on them, it's like, you know, hugs and like we've known each other forever. It's like we've been in a room together for the last totally. year. It's pretty amazing. So, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that's um, anyone being authentic in their business will really take the time to get to know who they're dealing with. So that when you do actually come face to face with them, it's like, oh yeah, we've been doing this forever. Yeah, I think that's right. I'll, I'll push one thought mm-hmm. at you just to kind of get your reaction, just because you're such a kind of a student of like leadership and how this thing is evolved. Yeah. Yep. But I would tell you, like, when I first started this company, it was interesting. I think that like you thought that transparency was a transformational leadership quality because historically mm-hmm. the boss held everything close to his or her vest, mostly his back in the day, unfortunately. You know, um, and then and then he or she would tell people what they wanted to share. 
So transparency was like this transformative thing. Today, to me, transparency is table stakes and vulnerability is a transformational aspect of leadership. If you actually really can lay on a line where you're struggling, where you actually need help, mm-hmm. it, it, it is amazing to see how quickly the organization that you're leading yeah. will kind of rise up and also um, want to be a part of helping you solve the things that you're struggling that's with. Right. Well. So I think like that, that's how I'm seeing the evolution of some of this stuff go on. And it's just a, a comfortable space to be in candidly. Yeah. Michael, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we finish? Anything I missed? Uh, the, 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 only, the only thing um, that I would just say, just, just, just from a, just from an encouragement, because I think that people need it. And I certainly do. And that is just, um, uh, and there's never been an important time to be leading. <laughs> and so those of us who are privileged to kind of be in leadership positions, yeah. um, the good news is the world's open to new ideas, innovative ways to lead, and man, do we need it. So I, I, I just really hope that we find in each other some new connections, unexpected collaborations. I think it's re- mm-hmm. what's really going to take to kind of move the, move the world forward. Well, what else, what else can I say then? Michael uh, O'Neill, founder and CEO of Get Well Network, or Get, ne- Get well Network. Um, I have so looked forward to this and uh, I'm so glad we finally had a chance to talk. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Thank you, Carol, so much. And thanks for what you do. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.